Hello there. Welcome back or welcome to the Human Condition podcast. About a month ago, I had the idea of making an episode about the many fallacies that we encounter in everyday conversation. A fallacy is an error in reasoning. Somewhere in the process of thinking, we make an error knowingly or unknowingly, and that affects our argument and our explanation. Ideally, we would like to not have any fallacies in our reasoning because I assume that we would want to perceive and understand the world as truthfully as we possibly can, but it's not possible to be entirely flawless in our thinking and reasoning. And once in a while, we do commit such fallacies. But since the time I decided to make such an episode, I started noticing these fallacies a lot more. I believe that's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon, where you recently learn about something or divert your focus on something and that newly learned concept or thing keeps appearing everywhere again and again, like a kind of selective attention. For example, when you research which car to buy the next few days or few weeks, it might appear that the car you were researching is everywhere. You see it so much more on the streets than you had before. The same thing happened to me. I kept noticing these errors in reasoning or fallacies everywhere, on the internet, in articles and books, while having conversations with friends and other people, and even while sitting alone and thinking. Sometimes it was myself and sometimes it was the others committing the fallacy. And it struck me how useful the recognition of these fallacies could be in understanding the world better and also understanding our own thinking and our own selves through the mistakes we make. And many times, you even know that there is something wrong with what your friend has just said or there is something wrong with the argument someone presented, but you just can't put a finger on it. You don't exactly know what or where it went wrong. So this episode could help you in understanding a bit more about our logical fallacies. In any case, I believe recognizing and learning about these fallacies could also be extremely helpful in having more meaningful and truth-seeking conversations. The first fallacy we discuss is equivocation. Equivocation is when you use a term that's ambiguous in more than one place in an argument and you use it differently each time. The problem of equivocation arises because a particular word has a double meaning or multiple meanings and is open to interpretation. Here's a simple example of equivocation that I sometimes get from people when I tell them I study philosophy. They say, well, philosophy helps you argue better, right? But do we really need to encourage people to argue? There's enough hostility in the world. Why do we need people arguing all the time? Here, the equivocation of the word argue is the problem. The other person thinks arguing is simply fighting over something like an argument on the street. But the sense in which the first argue is used in the sentence is not the same. When philosophers argue, they aren't fighting, but they're presenting their arguments to see how they stand against each other. An argument is a structured reasoning tool to help us make a case for or against something. So it's important to recognize an equivocation because sometimes it can be used to justify something by generalizing a term and leave it open to interpretation 
where the line between good and bad is faded. For example, many big industries in the past have defended against the claim that sugar is bad for you. They say, how can sugar be bad for you? Sugar is one of the most essential components of our body. Well, yeah dude, but not all sugars are the same, are they? There's glucose, which is blood sugar, there's fructose, there's sucrose, and they don't all function in the same way. Most of the sugars used by the sugar industry are refined sugars and processed sugars that have no nutritional value and could be harmful if consumed in excessive amounts. So it's not really ethical to promote your product by saying that sugars are essential. That's why it's important to recognize an equivocation because it could be quite subtle and that is a logical fallacy that we could all avoid. Sometimes though, equivocation is used humorously and that's fine, as long as it's just for the sake of humor. For example, a guy tries to park his car and sees a sign which says, fine for parking here. He's later surprised that he got a ticket because he claims the sign says, it's fine to park here. The problem, of course, is the interpretation of the word fine. So, yeah, equivocation used in the right setting could be used as a comedic tool, but when you see it in an argument, you know something is wrong. The next logical fallacy is quite easy to spot. I'm not going to spend too much time on it. It's called ad hominem, which is attacking the person itself and not what they are saying. Oh, Donald Trump said that? Then it's got to be bullshit. Well, yeah, he lies a lot, but some things he says are true. So, you can't discount the value of a statement by attacking the person who has said it. One needs to treat a statement on its own merit. A common fallacy, and perhaps one that we should all be watchful of, as it's easy to fall into its trap, is the straw man argument. The straw man argument, as the name suggests, is when someone builds a straw man version or a distorted, misrepresented version of the original argument and goes on to attack the straw man rather than the actual intended argument. If you watched Jordan Peterson's interview with Kathy Newman, a Channel 4 journalist, you can learn a lot about how not to engage in an interview or even an argument for that matter. If you follow Jordan Peterson, then you know the interview I'm talking about. If you don't, then I suggest you watch it because it's quite interesting to see how Kathy Newman gets tangled up in her own agenda-driven attempt at a dialectic. I have to mention that I do not agree with Jordan Peterson on a lot of what he says, especially about philosophy, because as a philosopher, you would like to attain more clarity on the ideas discussed and not just a surface-level understanding of things, and when you dive a little deeper into Peterson's philosophical arguments, they tend to fall apart. But then again, he's not a philosopher, okay? He's a clinical psychologist and I'm sure he does a fantastic job at it, as he does with helping many young people get their lives together, including myself. But what he's excellent at is articulation. He's a great conversationalist, a great debater and very good at social interactions. So it's really interesting to see how he handles this particular situation. In this particular interview, he gets strawmanned, or rather there was an attempt at strawmanning him by Kathy Newman. Many times, dozens of times in fact, during the 30-minute interview, Kathy Newman 
tries to reiterate Jordan's position on feminism and then proceeds to attack the reiterated version of his argument, which goes, oh, so you're saying something, something. Oh, so what you're saying is that something, something. And that something, something is not his original stance on the matter. He mostly tries to avoid taking a hard stance on the issue of feminism and says that things are far more complicated with many other factors involved rather than the usual dichotomy of male versus female. Many times, she goes to postulate a view that Jordan simply does not imply. And if you're not watchful, it could go astray very quick, you know. For example, early in the interview, Jordan talks about why a competent partner is desired and that he also understands why some people do not desire a competent partner because it's hard to dominate a competent partner. And Kathy Newman suddenly jumps in and says, Oh, so you think women want to dominate, huh? So you think a vast majority of women are like that? You're making such huge generalizations. How can you do that? Are you saying women who dominate men are unhappy? And so on. And you can imagine it going downhill from here if you don't stop her, yeah? Oh, so if women dominate, they're unhappy. So that means they should be submissive. Oh, so you think women should be submissive? Is that because you think women are inferior to men? Huh? Is that what you think? Now, this is what happens when you have an agenda in mind and you're not trying to have an open conversation. Her aim throughout the interview was to portray Jordan as some misogynist who thinks women are inferior to men. But that's not his position at all. Through a series of strawmen she constructs, she tries to corner Jordan into taking such a stance. Jordan, of course, is pretty clever and wriggles out of a portrayal of his views with the first chance he gets. He clearly states that this is not his position. But sometimes we too end up being at the stick end of a straw man argument. And if we don't recognize that someone is building a straw man against us, they could try to convince us that this is what your position is and that it's a bad argument. For example, this is how a straw man could go. Oh, so you're an atheist, huh? So that means you don't believe in God. Now, God is what gives inherent meaning to man's life and it's what provides us with good values and helps us avoid committing sins and crimes. So, since you don't believe in God, your values must be askew. What kind of a person are you, man? Whoa, hold up. That's not my position at all. I just said that I'm an atheist. The rest is all you and your little straw man building. So, yeah. Be careful not to fall victim to the straw man fallacy and also try to avoid straw manning someone. Try to read well about their views and ask them their position on some particular concept. It's okay to reiterate to confirm if what you think their view on the matter is in fact their actual view on the matter. But don't try to assume their position and then go on attacking it. The next fallacy is hasty generalization. This one's pretty straightforward as well, and you can see what it means from what the name suggests. It's a generalization made hastily without the support of enough evidence to back it up. This is perhaps one that I come across most often while talking to people, and obviously I'm guilty of it as well from time to time. It goes something like this. Oh man, did you hear about the teenagers that vandalized the statue at the park? Oh yeah, dude, all teenagers are so irresponsible and violent. 
The problem here is that you have a very small sample size and you extrapolate a pattern from it and apply it to the wider category of the population. Teenagers in this particular example. Another very common one I hear, especially from women who have had bad experiences in relationships with men, is, oh, men are such jerks, man. They all have huge egos and a false sense of entitlement. I hate all men. All men are jerks. Here again, the problem is the same. You met a few men who happen to be jerks and you generalize it hastily to the entire category of men, which is half the population of the world. This is problematic even if you have a large sample size because it still isn't representative of the whole category. This is the reason why scientific experiments are so careful with their sample size and try their best to pick their sample size so that it's truly random. They do this to avoid all sorts of biases. There is even a term in statistics called sampling error for such a problem. Sampling error is basically a statistical error that occurs when someone does not select a sample size that represents the entire population of the data. Because of this, the results obtained from the sample will not align with the outcome obtained from the entire population. So yeah, try not to make hasty generalizations and give anecdotal evidence to justify it. The next one is called the slippery slope fallacy. It's when someone takes a statement and assumes an unlikely event to happen from it and then assume a chain of events from that unlikely event. And it keeps going on and on like a slippery slope. You take one wrong step on a slippery slope and that leads you to a bunch of other missteps and in the end, you end up on your ass. I experience this from my parents sometimes. Oh, you're going out at night? You're probably going drinking, right? And then you'll drive the car when you're drunk? What if something happens? What if you hit someone and they end up in the hospital? Or worse, what if you end up in the hospital? And I'm like, whoa, only the first sentence of what you said is right. I'm going out at night. That's it. I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to visit an old friend. So the rest of the assumptions you can put to rest, okay? Now that's just one example of a slippery slope, but you can easily imagine other slippery slope arguments. A lot of people who overthink things in their head also come up with such slippery slope arguments. Oh, what if this happens? And then what if that might happen? If that happens, what are they going to think about me? Oh my god. They're all gonna leave me, aren't they? I'm gonna die alone. Yeah, you're not gonna die alone. You're just assuming a bunch of unlikely events, so just take it easy, okay? Alright, so moving on. The next one is called the false analogy fallacy. Look, analogies are great. Oftentimes, they're poetic, they make you understand one situation in terms of another, and they're great to use in a conversation. Like this, for example. I want to travel the world. I don't just want to read one page, I want to read the whole book. It's a good analogy and one that is used quite often. But not all analogies are good. Sometimes people tend to give false analogies to defend a position. The false analogy fallacy is an argument based on misleading and implausible comparisons. One common misleading analogy is the brain as a computer analogy. The brain acting as a computer is a perennial theme in neuroscience, but this is simply not true. The brain isn't just an information processing unit that provides us with a computational framework. 
it has so many more aspects contributing to it, like evolution, creativity, sexuality, social interaction, and so on, so many other things. Many of these things do not fit within a computational framework. So it's a bit misleading to compare our brain to a computer, for example, when defending the notion of semantic and syntactic processing of language, that the brain interprets language as some kind of a code given to it. Maybe there's some truth to it, but it doesn't paint the picture in its entirety. Here's another one that is probably meant to be more poetic than be used as an argument, but nevertheless, it's still an example of a false analogy. Just as in time the gentle rain can wear down the tallest mountain, so in human life, all problems can be solved by patience and quiet persistence. It's not true, is it? Sounds great, doesn't really work in that way. But like I said, it's probably just an expressive phrase and I'm being too critical of it, but in any case, that's the false analogy fallacy. There are several other fallacies, dozens of them in fact, and I just chose the one that I found quite often in my experiences. So if you happen to find any other fallacies that you come across, please hit me up and let me know. I'd be more than glad to talk about these things. You can also follow the podcast page on Instagram, which is thehumancondition.thc and also share and recommend the podcast to your friends and people who you think might enjoy it. Thank you for listening.